Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me, as always, is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity can be more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Welcome back, Peter, and I'm so excited because we have a guest today who is a special man. And, and I, I am excited, Just too. excited. Yeah. Me, too. This is a very good friend of ours, special man. And uh, our technician told me to keep my hands in my lap because if I put it on the table, it vibrates. Now, I don't agree with him, but I better listen. <laughs> so anyway, so if I look like I'm holding my hands on my lap, it's not natural. Yes. But Steve's giving me the word. Okay. But anyway, we have a wonderful guest here today. I'm. I think it's a privilege, really. Let me let me just say a little Go bit ahead. about Joe. Joe Foot is our guest today, and I, I call him Big Joe. Big Joe, yeah, I think so too. He's a good-looking man. He has a beautiful smile. His eyes are just something special. Uh, Joe's a father. Um, he has two daughters, uh, and this is amazing to me. One of them's thirty, and she's a model. No surprise there. He's a good-looking man. She's a model in New York City in Paris, and his younger daughter is seven, and she sings beautifully. Um, Joe's career has been in scaffolding. He's designed and built scaffolding systems. He has his own business now. Um, Joe describes himself as an active, I mean, even maybe beyond active to hyperactive man until recently, when life has changed for him. And I'm not going to say anything about that now because I'm going to let Joe tell his story his way. Uh, but he has a story to tell and a journey that he's on, and everyone listening is going to be touched and really be uplifted by what they have to hear today. Right. And one of the things, uh, the beauty of, of knowing Big Joe and knowing him is that when he speaks, every word is so genuine and appreciative and grateful. And this is a man who's sitting in a wheelchair, um, a big man. He was very active. Um, and uh, because of things that he's gone through, he's, how would you, uh, paraplegic? Quadriplegic. Quadriplegic. Still a real handsome guy, though. And, uh, but a good, really good man, and I love it because every word is the truth, precious and genuine. I love that. And that's the kind of people I surround myself with. And hopefully I'm like that. But I'll tell you a couple of things that I thought about naming this episode today. And one of them is out of the fires of intensity of the intensity of uh, wait a minute, out of the fires intense, of crisis, the fires of, fires crisis. of crisis. Excuse yes. me. Thank yes. you. That's this why is Jenny's. A that's why Jenny's here. I know. Well, you know, um, comes redemption. And uh, the other is resilience is forged through adversity. These are the themes of everything we do. And then we know people, including ourselves, that live this. And Big Joe is one of them, and he is a yes. true living testimonial to what we're talking about. As you'll see, this is a person that doesn't talk down to anybody. He doesn't pretend to be above anyone. 
And as he talks, he's talking about living it today and what, as he continues to grow and go through the challenges of his current life, um, he's humble and he's grateful. But anyway, we're going to let him talk and we don't want to out talk him. I mean, isn't he's the guest, not us, right? He's the guest. Yeah. His is, right. He has the story. So. All right. So we're going to introduce Big Joe. Big Joe. So Welcome. Hi, guys. How are you? Um, well, basically, to tell you the story, I, I grew up, I was very hyperactive. I'm always busy. I'm in the scaffolding business, so I'm outside a lot, and I was always working with people and helping them out and, you know, solving their problems and building scaffolding. And then I uh, one day I had an accident. I was a passenger in a car, and I wound up, uh, the driver was driving erratically and rear-ended a car, and I didn't have my seatbelt on, and wound up uh, breaking my neck at the, I broke between the second and third uh, vertebrae. And they fused uh, seven of my vertebrae, and they replaced five of my discs in my neck. And it left me a total quadriplegic, meaning I can't move anything from my neck down. Um, and uh, for that to happen to a person like me, well, I was, I play the drums as well, too. So I play the drums, and uh, I was a professional drummer, and I played in church as well, too. Um, but my attitude, you know, back then, when I had full capability, I, I, I had a probably a cocky, maybe arrogant attitude. I, I worked hard. I, I played hard. And then one day, um, it all stopped. And no longer and I cannot move any of my body parts but with a lot of prayer a lot of uh, people working with me I have uh, gotten myself the ability now to walk with a walker and I can also move my arms and basically what transpired is I was riding in the car with this guy who was driving erratically. How long ago was this? This is uh, I'm in my fifth year. It was December third. It was December thirteenth, uh, two thousand fourteen. And I basically um, after after when he hit the car in front of me, and I was yelling at him, you know, to slow down and not drive. I'll, I'll give you a little straight. So we're going to. Get drugs. Is that all right to talk about that? You better talk. We want you to talk about mm -hmm. your life That's before. Okay. So happening. I went to get. We're, I was going to get drugs, and um, um, on the way there, uh, he's. We got there to the house. He didn't have any money. I didn't have any money. So he turned around to go back, and that's why he was speeding, I guess. Well, he rear-ended this car. When he rear-ended it, I, I saw us hit the car. Now. Let me back up. I'm sorry, I'm being confusing. We're speeding down there. I saw him speeding. He was going to uh, pass a car. I asked him not to pass a car. I tried to slow him down and calm him down. And doing that, I, I decided, well, I'll, I'll roll a joint. Well, that makes a lot of sense, you know. Just, you know, do more drugs. But this one was to calm him down, I was hoping. Yeah. Well, I was rolling it while he was passing this car and I could see the eyeballs of the people in, in the car in front of me. It was huge. And I thought, well, this is it. We're dying. And he pulled back away and we missed the car, but the car in front of us, we were unable to stop fast enough. We hit him about 35 miles an hour. And, um, my head hit the windshield and it, when it hit, I saw the car, I heard the crash. And then the next thing I know it went white. And I mean, ghost white. I've never seen a pure white in my whole life, guys. 
and I started to float. And I was floating and floating and floating, and all of my problems in life were falling away from me. It was magnificent. I've never experienced anything so beautiful in my whole life. And as I was watching my problems fall away, I was getting more relaxed, and I was just, it's a peacefulness I've never felt before in my life. And then all of a sudden, I kind of felt this shaking on me. And all of a sudden, I felt myself coming back down, at literally physically feeling myself descending. And as I was doing that, I could feel myself kind of going through something. And I realized when I, I was going through this roof of the car, and I could see myself below, and then I went back into my body. And then all of a sudden, I was awake, and I couldn't move. And um, I could see underneath the, the hood of the car was up against the windshield, and I could see underneath it. And so at that point, um, we took off, and we sped for, um, sped for Bodega. He never stopped for the police or anything. He drove right to Bodega, the town of Bodega, to his mom's house. He was going to try to put me in a car and drive me to the hospital. But you mean he was, the car was drivable? Yeah, it was still drivable. The hood was up against the front of the windshield, and he drove looking underneath the hood Whoa. all the oh way to gosh. the town of Bodega, five more miles. I, I can't believe there wasn't a policeman there to stop us. But in any event, so he got there. They got me out of the car. They couldn't fly me with a helicopter because it was too foggy. So they drove me to uh, St. Joseph Hospital, and then they had to take me from there to UCSF, and they drove me down there. So that's basically the story of my accident. That um, was the shock trauma that yep. in some ways woke you up. Yep. So going before, you're saying you were going to get drugs. Yep. You're saying you were all in a joint. Yep. Um, so we're talking about you had a previous life to where you are today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What was that, what was that life like? I mean, what my was, life, it was a very good life. I, no, um, the one before. Me. You thought it was a good life. Oh, you mean the one when... Before the accident. Before the accident, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a good life. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. But Because, you know, I was, just, I was maintaining. I, I knew that I had a drug problem. I knew I had an alcohol problem. But I was just trying to maintain and stay normal and try to keep a business and stuff going. But, you know, I, I, I worked for another... I worked for a company. I got paid well. I made good commissions. I did well. But on top of that, I... I partied hard too, as well, and um, all that came to a shocking stop. And uh, now I sit in a chair every day, and uh, I, you know, I uh, I reflect back on that. But I've my reflecting back shows me what a selfish person I was to myself and to other people, and um, because I was a. Uh, I cared more about myself, and you know anybody that is a alcoholic or drug addict, you know that's the first thing is to take care of themselves before they take care of anybody else. But you're not talking about good self care. You're talking about being self centered and self indulgent yep. at the expense of others. Exactly right. That's a different kind of self. Yeah. But what we've talked about on the show many times is uh, you're talking about the awakening through yep. a trauma and crisis and shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the triggering point to bring about this transition. But it sounds to me like for a long time you were in a completely different kind of life um, that was very self-indulgent and selfish and self-destructive. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it doesn't sound like on your own you would have made any changes. Nope. 
No. no. See, notice why he said that? Nope. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that was that sounds pretty sure. Did you have glimpses or moments when you kind of wondered whether you should change track or Yep. And and this I changed track. Uh and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit, I think. Yeah. No, I wanna hear yeah. I wanna hear that too. So what we're hearing is a different life now. Yeah. And we're talking about he's also Joe, I hear Joe talking about a time of reflection, mm-hmm. a time of finding the purpose and meaning that really that he's put on this earth for, and that it's come through crisis and shock and yeah. adversity. And what we're really witnessing is true resilience, that if he didn't go through this difficult, terribly difficult time, he never would have discovered this, this depth and meaning of resilience. He's got it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've talked about in papers that we've written, and I think in other episodes, is we've seen that there is a, a value and a purpose to crisis and difficulty and trauma. We've talked about it often. A lot. And that there are people that come through it. It's always terrible. Let's be honest. For anybody, it feels terrible. It is terrible. And we can't minimize how bad that feels. But there are those folks that come out of it feeling victimized, discouraged, despairing, fearful, angry, bitter at the world. It real, Really, they come out, if they weren't a loser before, they're even more so. And then we see these other folks that come out, like Joe, that in spite of what they have to face today and the challenges they have on a day-to-day basis, they have an attitude that is so positive and so filled with gratitude and appreciation and, humili- and, and humility. And they look at life as, a, as an opportunity now to make good, to be good for themselves, to be good for others, to be so genuine and have the integrity and decency that they couldn't have found before in their best day. And those are the folks that we really talk about. This is resilience. And can it come, this particular meaningful resilience, well, can it come any other way? Because Peter tells, or Dr. Bernstein says they should. No way. It's something you have to go through. And then when you listen to someone like our guest today, mm-hmm. when they talk about things, you're hearing the real, the real you thing. You hear the real thing, and it comes through as the real thing, even and though I, we don't want to paint Joe as a saint. We don't? Well, no one kind of saint. No, maybe. he says no way. But I, I, but I know he's struggled. He has said he struggles with his attitude. He's human. <laughs> he's got his moments, and we'll hear about those and too. And that's really good. But I agree with you. He is he is a, a wonderful chance to talk more about all the things we've talked about in this podcast, mm-hmm. and he has lived them. And I'm going to say, you've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to The Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and I'm here today not only with Peter Bernstein, but Joe Foote, Big Joe. And before our break, uh, Joe had just described the life-altering event uh, of the accident that left him a quadriplegic. And uh, Peter was summing up some of the ways that we, many of the themes that we've been talking about in this podcast about resilience uh, and how 
Joe's experience in his life are vivid exemplars of this. And um, is it okay if we go back to those moments that Joe had maybe before the accident where he was questioning whether he was really on the right path or not? What was missing that you thought might have been missing, but then you just sort of swept it aside? Well, what I was hiding from was, was basically all the past problems and issues I'd created for myself. Um, you know, by partying and by my breakup with my wife and everything like that, I, I didn't want to confront all the problems I'd developed for myself. I just kept drowning them out and creating them, you know, creating new ones. And um, I just kept going on like that. And I wanted to stop it. Oh, yes, I did want to stop it. And... Then when I got saw that I was going more and more, I, I I tried slowing down and I really tried to work at it, but it wasn't happening. And I knew that it wasn't going to happen. And uh, I think in some way that you know this accident um, may have saved my life. And people go, "What do you mean by that?" Well, if I continued on the way I was going, I would have been looking probably about a hundred years old by now, and been very embarrassed by my actions probably in town and embarrassed other people as well so I think that in a in in some senses well the way I look at it it is it this accident happened to, to save me and I've got another chance to turn my life around now it's going to be a hard one and I've got a lot of work to do physically first of all well physically to get myself up and going and every day mentally I mean I mean, every day is a challenge for me. Uh, I wake up in the morning. Uh, I, I pray for a good day. I um, I work as hard as I can during the day to make it as pleasant and as, as easy a day for myself and my handler. And um, but um, you know, this uh, long story short, if I if I continued on the on the path I was on, it would have been a detriment to me and to a lot of people around me. So. Is that now? Is that something you realize that now? Did you realize that when you were going through it in the early stages? Did you know before no. this that no. that was true? No. Oh. no, I didn't think. I I I knew that I had a problem, mm -hmm. but I was very cocky and I was very arrogant, and I thought that I had a handle on it. <laughs> okay, which obviously I did not have a handle on it, and I know that now. And my whole everything's changed 180 degrees. I mean. I look back at my actions back when I was doing things, and I, I'm wondering what kind of examples I set for other people, and maybe younger people. And I, that that haunts me today, okay? Um, but there's nothing I can do about it except for... What you're doing now is setting a different kind of example. Yeah. Yeah. Much better. And I want to just take a moment because I want to quote something that, that, Peter, that you wrote. And... Um, and we've said many times is that crisis does not have to cripple us. We have choices about how to respond. And um, we can, you say, we can wallow in self-pity and despair and a victim's kind of mentality. Or we can develop a positive attitude and find a way to make life work for us. Um, we can rise above disabilities to be inspiring, amazing people. And you've known many people like that. And that's what I hear you saying, that you you have 
made the choice. And every morning here, when you wake up, you make the choice that you're not going to be the victim, mm -hmm. if possible. Yep. You have your days, I'm yep. sure. Oh, I have my days, all right. But your the choice that you want to make is to move forward and to become the kind of man who is an example. Exactly right. In life and in your words. Yep, exactly right, completely. I I want to make a difference in other people's lives now instead of being selfish to myself. And I've made a promise to myself that when I get physically better, I'm donating two days a week to help other spinal care people. If it means driving in places or, or what, um, I'm going to do it to help them out. I'm going to give back. And that's a big part of my goal is to get myself healthy and to give back. So. That's a great goal. And you know, I'm looking at a paragraph I wrote last night at midnight, but um, the purpose of why we do this show. Yes. Um, and you don't have to wait. You're doing the encouragement right now. And uh, I'll, I'll read what I wrote. Our passion and purpose is to utilize these broadcasts as a encouragement to give you, the listener, the tools and skills to work with these challenges when things in, come into your life, and they will for everyone that are so difficult. And these life challenges can be called life crises, trauma, shock, but we don't have to be permanently disabled by them. We do have choices on how to respond. Now, if Joe, Big Joe doesn't fit this one, I don't know who is. <laughs> now, he wants to be able to walk someday and drive and help folks and come alongside others. And I think that is a really wonderful goal and right on. But he's doing something today that fits our purpose here, and that's to encourage others. Well, you know, if it were me and I was my old self, I'd be listening to a guy like this who's genuine and real and who's been there. Um, that's the people I listen to. Those are my mentors. Mm -hmm. um, when, I, when I came from, to, from New Jersey to California, um, I looked at the world of therapists and whatever, and I looked at it and I think, what a bunch of wimps. Forgive me because I was a therapist for almost 50 years. But where I was coming from, I, I, they just didn't ring true to me. Mm -hmm. The people that took me under their wing were very strong, and they weren't afraid of me, which was good. But the other part of it is I, they were coming from a genuine place that they'd been through rough times themselves and have come through the other side, and they were great examples for me. Mm -hmm. They became the fathers I never had, and there was more than one. There were a couple of them. But I wouldn't have listened to them. I wouldn't have listened to anybody else. I was too stubborn, too full of myself. Um, but I listened to these folks, number one, they were bigger than I was. And uh, the kind of attitude I have, I felt like I could take anybody down. And uh, the mentor I had that really took me under his wing, uh, a guy who knew me, said, I have somebody for you that worked just fine for you. And I go, yeah, right. How big was he? He was six foot seven, 340 pounds. And he was, I looked at him and go, this is a therapist? Well, he was more than that. <laughs> but I looked at him and I go, now, this guy could hurt me if I really let go here. And uh, he could. And he wasn't a guy that was... Uh, intimidated very easily. He was a giant on the inside too, though. True giant. And he would talk to me later on about um, how, what a strong man meant and what it was. And one of the things that I never did, I, I never was, for, number one, I didn't forgive anybody. Anybody crossed me, it was like being back on the streets of New Jersey. They were done. And um, he said, I never met anybody that held grudges as much, as deeply as you do. And 
I said, so? He says, no. He says, you got to learn to let go and forgive people. And the other was, he could be as big and strong as he was. He had a softness about him, too. And he had ability to be sensitive and, and empathetic that I'd never seen anybody that tough that could be that caring, too. You had some of that quality already. You I, had it for the workers that you had back east. And you did value that quality, but... That was a secret. You didn't live it the way no, that no, this at, man did. At that point, that was that would be considered a weakness. Yeah, it was where I lived. That was dangerous because people would look at that as a way to uh, get to me or hurt me. So we didn't show that side, except I did show it to people in need, and they mostly were my employees. They were very tough guys, had tough crews in the construction business, but they they needed a lot of help, and I showed them a lot of a lot of caring. And they loved me. Even though I was young, I had a great loyal, I had very loyal crews. They would give their life for me. And believe me, we almost came to that many times, that need. But it's because I did care. But I didn't want people to really know. I didn't show that side. When I came to California, I was came to change. I didn't know how. But I know I couldn't have gone on. I didn't want to go on the way I did anymore. And I didn't know how to change. So you had a crisis, too, kind of an awakening day. I know you've talked about it on the podcast before, mm -hmm. uh, but, but you've had a similar experience, a shock, a sudden change, a life that, that went in a, a whole new direction that you didn't expect. I had a series of shocks. And uh, one of them was I'm not as tough as I think I am. And the people that I'm coming up against are truly dangerous, terrifying people. And only because I was so full of myself and I'd just come out of the service thinking I was one tough kid that I could take a mine. Well, these people were seriously dangerous people and they did terrible things and I witnessed many of them. And the truth of the matter is it took a lot for me to wake up because that was the world I was immersed in. I wasn't part of that, but I certainly was, it was around me my whole life. And you get, you kind of get used to it, but the... There is a wake-up call after a while when things get so dangerous and so dramatically terrifying. Um, and it took a series of wake-ups like that mm -hmm. um, for me to understand I'm way over my head. And um, if I don't do something, I'm going to be just like the people I despise. That uh, was organized crime. But interestingly, it was one of them that told me that, I number one, I only had three weeks to leave New Jersey. That was number one. But it was also he had watched me for three years. And he says, I know you're a tough guy. He says, but I've seen how much you care about your people. And he says, I know you don't like anybody to real know that, but I've been watching you. And he says, I think there's another profession for you, another world. And you need to get started on your life again. You're a young guy. you gotta get, you got to do something different. And I says, so where am I supposed to do this? He says, the farthest place for New Jersey you can find, then you have three weeks to get there. Mm -hmm. So he says, you got other service in California. Go back to California. And he actually gave me the money to get started and go back to college. He wanted me to become a psychologist. I didn't even know how to spell it when he said it. It was so out of the realm of my... He says, those are professionals who help people. Why don't you go to school? I, I said, I'm not a school person. He says, you're young enough to start your life again and go do it. You were. Yeah, and I was young enough, even though I never acted my age. I was much older. Yeah. But I had to change. And the shocks later on, the post-traumatic stress I had when I was awakening to what I was exposed to was haunting. And I couldn't sleep. I was really walk. I was terrified because it, it, after you walk away from all of that, that's when it starts hitting you. So it was a wake-up call. And the other is I had thought I was losing my conscience. 
about what kind of person I wanted to be because I did get to a breaking point where these people had done so much damage and hurt innocent people that I was thinking, well, I got my own people. Maybe it, we ought to reciprocate. And I didn't want to, part of me didn't want to be like that, but I was becoming like, I was becoming like my enemies. I was in a war. The wake-up call was, I, I'm telling you, I wasn't a religious person. I know it was God. And he said, I got a different life for you, and this isn't the one. And I remember thinking to myself, now how am I going to get out of this? this? is the only world I know, the only life I know. Sure enough, a new door opened for me. And it, it showed me that there was an opportunity beyond this. But, I, I'm hearing some parallels here that I'd like yeah. to get into in just a moment about uh, looking at conscience, looking at mm -hmm. how do you feel about yourself and the path that you're on. Mm -hmm. um, is it too late to change? Is it ever too late to change? Mm -hmm. um, I see some real parallels here, and, and we can get into them. But first... You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and today um, with in, the in the studio with Peter and with Joe Foote, our special guest. And before the break, uh, Peter and Joe were talking about moments, times in their life when everything changed, maybe in a moment, maybe in a series of moments, and it was time to look at where they were going, what kind of men they were, did they want to keep going on this path? Could they? Could they change? Um, and this is this is a, like a key thing, this moment, this time of change, this time of reflection. Um, I'd like to get back to Joe Go. and uh, just say, just ask you, what has it been like for you to kind of have this time to look at yourself and 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 look at the direction you were going. Well, I, I've been looking back, I've reflected a lot back on what I, what I had done. And, um, I'd been given a lot of chances. I've been, God, as you said, he tapped on my shoulders a few times. I mean, I'd got pulled over for, for drunk driving, right? And the policeman, a breathalyzer was broken. And the officer was so mad about that, he uh, told me that... Uh, um, if you know, in so many colorful words, that if I got in trouble between here and my home, that he would throw the book at me, but he let me go. And uh, there have been many situations like that where I've been tapped on the shoulder and gotten away with things, and but not listened to them. I mean, not listened to my mistakes, not not taking the warnings that's exactly it peter not taking the warnings that were given to me and then all of a sudden i was given the big warning um but reflecting back i'm looking back at a person that a lot of things i wish i could have changed and i would have changed or would change if i could change them and um are you using those things that you're realizing in your life now yes i am i have not drank or done any drugs the only drug I, I do use is marijuana 
but I do that because I got off of uh, the the narco pills that they gave me. I, I turned back in 75 of those pills, gave them back to my doctor, and she was uh, oxycodone was what they were, and mm. she was blown away by that. Mm. And she asked me what I was using, and because the pain that I have is so great and the um, spasms are so intense mm. that um, I, I, I use marijuana to... to Keep it down. So. Can I ask what uh, reason I was going to ask this? Yeah. I'll tell you in a minute. What form do you use to take away the uh, spasm? I smoke it, and I also then I there's some CBDs that I take. Not what tell people tinctures. It's tinctures. A, yeah, it's a tincture, and I I put it on my tongue, and and it calms down the uh, spasms. And, it does, and it, without having the psychoactive um, properties of the THC. THC. Yeah, but I'll tell you right now the THC though. That property, when I go into major spasms, major, and I mean, I ball up like, you know, little pill balls, pill bugs? Yeah. You know, you touch them and they'll roll up. Well, that's what happens to a quadriplegic when he gets stimulated in a way that the body doesn't know about, Uh, meaning things that your body used to react to, they don't react the same. The the signals are different. So my, my body will ball up into a ball. Now, I'd take a pill and it would take, half hour 45 minutes for it to kick in but if i smoke the marijuana within 15 within about 15 seconds or so after the first inhale or so i could feel myself calming down that fast yeah that fast and that's it's, it works very well for me you know why i'm asking that this is good because i hear about this with elderly people because yeah. we deal with caregivers a lot i'm a caregiver and they're talking about using marijuana, but it's not with the THC in yeah, it. Yeah, CBD. Yes, for CBDs for arthritis, mm-hmm. for pain from cancer, and they, yep. and they like it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but I was just eating at a place you know, that I always eat to before uh, where I broadcast, and uh, the the girl, her brother, has a farm in Oregon, and they just got a ninety million dollar contract to supply marijuana, medicinal marijuana. Hmm. And show me pictures of the operation. It's enormous, two thousand acre fa- ranch. Yep. Yep. And they were talking about the medicinal uses, and she said her mother has very serious arthritis where she can't bend her hand. Yep. And they use some kind of ointment with marijuana, and uh, in a matter of seconds, she hmm. can move her hands with yep. no pain. I says I want some of that because I got it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested in this. But if you if you saw the pictures in this, you cannot believe the enormity of it. Yeah. And being involved in the drug world in the past, I'm always, when they offer me any kind of drug, even medicinally, I say no. Yeah. I'll live with the pain. Yep. So, um, but this, this is interesting because my body does hurt at times. And if the salve, the salve works, I'm yeah. going to use it. Yeah, you should try it. I will try yeah. it, yeah. But it must be huge because yeah. this is, they just received a $90 million contract for it. Yeah. From the, uh, I don't think it's the government, but they have the permission of the states mm. yeah. mm-hmm. uh, to do this. Mm. It's big. So anyway. wow. so that's a big change for you. Yeah. You're using it purely functionally. That's it. That's I mean, I used to use it recreationally, you know, and I, I'm a musician. I, I get stoned all the time and play, and I love <laughs> it. And But uh, it doesn't even... Uh, I don't even get stoned anymore when I smoke it. I, it, it just takes away the cramps and the, yeah. and, the, and the pain that I have. And that's, you know, that was one of the other things. When I talked to my doctor when I got out of this surgery and everything, my doctor looked at me, my, the surgeon, and he said, Joe, if you want to work really, really hard, I mean work hard and endure extreme amount of pain, the ability for you to possibly walk again, there, there is a possibility. 
every other doctor has told me I will never walk, I'll never move, or anything. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to get at with this is, it's been, f- I'm in my fifth year now, and I've been working as hard as I can, pursuing work, pursuing to walk, and I am now able to get up on um, some um, a walker, and I'm able to walk on a walker. And the reason I'm saying this is that instead of sitting around every day victimizing myself, and I had to go talk to a, a psychologist about this because... You know, I at times I go through my down moments and I feel like a victim and they'll have to talk me out of it and I realize I'm not thinking the way, thinking very smart, I should think better. Meaning, what I mean by that is I'm in this position already. I've got two things to do. I can sit here and, and feel sorry for myself or I can get up every day and go out and do something positive and that's what I try to do every day. And I'm telling you what, I get beat down, I mean, but you say you have choices. But I have choices, and and I make I try to make the positive choice. And look at, I, I'm like all of you out there. I, I I get depressed. I get upset. I I get down. Uh, but I try, when I feel that coming on me, I try to take that energy and focus it into another direction, and that would be either to work out or to work on my computer or to do something that's positive. And I try to set goals for myself. And to attain them, and that's what's kept me going all these years. Otherwise, I think I probably would have shot myself. Okay, one of the th- some of the things you're saying are very important about becoming functional. We also tell people that you go. We can give you a, a a a bigger perspective on this, just like you're giving folks now about how to reflect, to find the meaning of things, to to see that this can come out very positively as a process. But we don't. We tell them there are emotions to this. You can't get around it. Mm-hmm. It's not letting those emotions begin to dictate, though, your whole frame of mind and, and your whole your, outlook. Cloud your perspective. Because they about. never give you a true picture, the yeah. emotions. I'm not talking about a feeling state. And a lot of people let their emotions just take over. Yep. What you're saying is, yeah, you feel them. And yeah, you need some outside support. And for you, you, talk, you talked about psychologists. We talk about other kinds of support as well. Mm-hmm. There's many kinds of support, and sometimes we need it because our emotions running so intensely and so high that we need other people to know us to give us some perspective beyond our emotions while we're going through it to remind us that there's hope. There's mm-hmm. always hope. Right. And they usually are the people, at least for my life, that have been through it themselves. Right. And it's hard at the time when we're going through these deeper emotional states to hear that there's hope. But for me, there's an arsenal I have of past experiences that, you know, you've come through many hard times. This is a hard time in your life now, but there is hope. It may not be clear right now what form that's going to take, but I know there's hope. And one of the things that I see that we've also written in another paper, I was just looking at it today. Forgive me, folks, I wrote a lot of papers. But this one was about folks that get find hope in the midst of their difficulties with the kind of attitude Joe has. And I talk about, uh, let's see, what do I talk about here? I talk about a willingness to go and move beyond your emotional pain and your physical pain. And discover that takes energy to do that. It takes an outlook, but you got to go beyond it. You can't stop and lock down in your emotion and in your physical pain. I'm not talking about transcending it and being a space out. I'm saying you got to get through it and not let that control everything you do. But it's tough at the time. But the people that make it 
have the ability to push through it and not let their emotional pain and physical pain stop them somehow. And out of that comes an energizing and a hopefulness, or maybe the energizing comes from hopefulness to push through these things. I've seen that every time. And you're talking about it right now. Yeah, well, every time you succeed at something, at least when I do, it gives me an extra boost. And, and like, I can do this. I can get through this. I, this I'm going to make it. Mm-hmm. And I, it so. builds. Yes, it uh, the, more, the more you push through, the more you get some success, yeah. the more capable you feel. It, it's like building a muscle. Exactly right. Yep. 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 Well, you know what? That's interesting because that's the way to go. Here's the way not to go, not to get ahead of yourself with worry and fearfulness. And we talked about that in another paper we wrote. Mm -hmm. But if people get too far into their fears Mm -hmm. coming out of their trauma, they do the opposite. And they get so far ahead of themselves that they scare themselves to death. And they just get so overwhelmed. You become your worst enemy. You become your own worst enemy. Absolutely. Can become their own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the exact opposite which is the right step to take, and that is don't get ahead of yourself. Build on the positive things one step at a time and be grateful for those steps, and they'll build into something better one step at a time, and you'll feel better about yourself. You'll just find a deeper sense of strength and courage. It's a physical challenge, but there's also a spiritual element to all of this. You're really talking about spiritual growth and Mm -hmm. development. Every person I've ever talked to, including myself, that has been through true, shocking, difficult trauma, finds a spiritual reality to it all. Now, I'm not talking about religious because there's so many different kinds that I've heard of, but it's true. And out of this, you begin to find there's some incredible, magnificent part of our being that allows us to become resilient in spite of all the difficulties. There's something so special and it is a spiritual reality. There's no question about it. But I'm not talking about the kind that where people get so ethereal and so far out. I'm talking about a very down-to-earth, real-life application, finding the strength to go on in spite of how difficult things are. And I think that Joe is really a wonderful example of that. What were you going to say? You're waving the paper. I know I'm waving the paper. I've, the I've got to say that you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, in the studio with Peter and Joe Foote, our special guest. And I want to return to what we were talking about before the break. Uh, we were talking about uh, a spiritual side to adversity and resilience and developing uh, resilience and a, a new outlook in our life as we go through adversity. And I want to pick up on a couple of things that you both talked about and one is finding a purpose and a meaning in the difficult times we've gone through and in the new life that we want to move into. We've talked about um, getting support and help when our emotions are running strong. We need the help to reach out. I think we've also mentioned, and I know I think you may want to mention before we're done, about returning that to others. How do we give back? 
So I think that would pl- there's plenty there that we could talk about before the end of our show. Oh, do we have time? We have one more session, one more segment okay, today. Okay, I do want to talk about one thing before we get there, and that is I wanted to ask Joe what he felt like when he realized the degree of loss after going through this difficult, traumatic time. Because the reason I say that is because we do have to have a time to grieve. Yes. When we realize the losses that we're, that we're facing. And um, we've got to give ourselves the space to grieve. But one of the grieving parts of it isn't just the obvious, which it is for Joe. It's also knowing, discovering that we don't have the control and the sense of security that we made up in our own minds and that we lived off of. And it's the grief of knowing that there is a lack of control, that we're not in control. And we've got to give ourselves the time to go through that for a while. And it's not an easy time, but it's so important to realize that. Did you go through that? I think you go through it every day. It's something that continues, you continue to go through. It's just not one period of time. I, I catch myself um, reflecting back on situations that I could have done better and feeling bad about them and, 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 and breaking down about them. Um, not being able to walk, not being able to move my arms and do what I used to do when I was so independent. Yeah, I, I, I break down and I've cried about it. I've sat mainly by myself and, and bawled my eyes out till I had nothing else to, to cry out. And then, um, then I have to look at myself and say, which direction do I go in? And the direction I want to go in is to be with my daughters and be able to be with them and to be able to you know help the community out and work with the community and and give back i want to do everything completely 180 degrees different than what i did before Mm -hmm. i don't want to take i want to give now and i want to i want to give so much it's not even funny and um so if there's anything i can do to help anybody out even in the condition i'm in now I'll, i'll try to help them um, but no, giving back to me is is a big part, and that's what I made a promise to God about and to myself is that when I do get better and I'm physically capable, I am going to give two days a week to help people out with spinal problems. Well, you're doing it. You're doing. You, that's the a great goal, and you're doing it now. I I know. I'll just throw in. I know in some of the veterans we've worked with, um, who come back emotionally, physically wounded. Sometimes they won't seek help for themselves, but if they find a way that if they were to work through what's happening with them so that they can help someone else, it motivates them yes. to, 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 to move forward. Mm-hmm. You, I'm, you're looking at me like you're no, not sure what I'm absolutely. saying. Absolutely. I, I was thinking. I, it no. sounds very much like what Joe's talking about. If it were just for you, yep. you might have given up. I, I'm, oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth, but you are not doing it just for you. Is no. that right? No, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for others. I want to do it for others. I want to help other people out. I need to get myself better so I can help them out, and that's my goal, and that's what keeps me driving every day. Uh, besides, you know, when I do get myself physically better, I'll be able to play with my daughter again. I'll be able to play my drums in church. I'll be able to do some things for myself that give me some great joy and love and comfort. But what also gives me great joy and what is driving me ahead is that I want to help others. My, my total outlook on life has changed. It's, it's not about me anymore. It's not me, 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 Joe, Joe, Joe. It's 
others, 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 others. I want to take care of others. I, I can't believe that what this accident has done. It has opened up my heart. It has opened up my mind to look at my actions and what I've done in the past and how to change myself so I can be better coming in the future. And, um, you know, we talk about when people are broken yeah. and they're stripped and they discover their own humanity. Yep. The other thing they discover is their compassion and love for their fellow man oh, and, and wanting to help, yep. genuinely caring about others. It's also a great way of rehabilitating ourselves and not feeling sorry for ourselves Yep. to help others and to care for others in spite of how we're struggling. And you're really, you're really, you're just fitting, fitting one of my papers. We have so many, you're fitting in them all. And you're doing it by life experience. You're saying, hey, Peter, I didn't have to read your papers. I'm living it. And what you're saying, we know is true. You're so right. And that's such a part of becoming more humanized. When we're broken and stripped through crisis and difficulty and struggle, we discover the things you're talking about that are so precious that it doesn't mean we don't have our challenges. And you're saying, I got them every day. And we all do. But you're going beyond that. And you're saying, yes, I have this. And I could wallow in self-pity and being a victim and be completely discouraged. Or I can have a good cry, which we all do. Yep. And we encourage it. Yep. But to not let it take over. Exactly. To, put a, to rein it in and then move out of it and go help others. Go take care of others. Come alongside others. Like people came alongside you when you're needing. Uh, you realize that's biblical, and I don't mean to get too religious yeah. here. It is biblical, and it's in uh, what is Second Corinthians? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right there. And you're saying that's what you want to do. We're the same way. We've been doing it. This broadcast is our our passion, is to come alongside others and share, to encourage, to appreciate the human struggle they're facing, but to let them know there is hope. Yeah. To bring a friend on like you, a, a precious friend who's telling, telling it like it really is. Yes. And he's not coming across as holier than thou. He's coming across as a real human being who's got to struggle every day, and yet he's victorious every day in stepping beyond self-pity and feeling like a victim and being bitter and embittered toward the world. He's making the most of what he has now. Mm -hmm. And he's showing and living a greater appreciation. You can also hear he's got a visualized goal that he... This, Joe wants to get up and he wants to walk, he wants to drive, he wants to help others with spinal cord injuries. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a great goal. I'm just seeing he's doing a whole lot before he even gets to that goal. And he's fulfilling yeah. some very, very, I'll bet you some people called in that they're listening to you. I'll bet you it's giving them encouragement right now hope and so. hope. Yeah, and they, you don't have to drive them to the rehab facility. They probably, just listening to you are feeling an emotional and personal and maybe a, a spiritual uplifting that they needed 15 minutes ago and didn't know where they were going to get it from, and they tuned into our program. Listening to you is a gift. One thing I, I want to let people know that I also, when I was, before my injury, I, I really didn't pay attention to what was going on around me. I didn't pay attention that much to people, people's feelings. Um, I didn't pay attention to smelling the roses, as they say, okay? I didn't. Now, I do. And I realize how stupid I was for not paying attention to that stuff earlier on and how much I have lost because of that. But now I have got a chance to, to change it. And by 
doing that has made life feel a lot more fuller, a lot more richer. Um, it's given me a lot more hope and desire to, to, to make see this through to the end. And uh, I'm not as afraid as I, as I was. And, uh, Wait, I want to hear more about that. You're not as afraid as you, as you were. What do you mean? Oh, before I was afraid because I was always, I didn't look at things face on. I hid behind my drugs and my alcohol, and I was afraid to look at those. I was afraid to acknowledge stuff. Now that I'm sitting in a wheelchair and I have nothing to do, I can't go grab a beer. I can't go grab the drugs. I can't go run off and do something stupid. I got to sit in my chair and think about it. And by thinking about it and going over it, well, it's sinking in. So. Well, you know what? You've changed the direction. And the one that we encourage people to do is don't run away from the challenges in life. Nope. Go toward them and embrace them. And it's called the, the thing that we, there's, it's been coined as transformative resilience is what you're talking about. Yeah. And I love it. Let me give you one little gift before you go. And that is everybody that goes through this and has to, and looks back on their life can get very critical of themselves. And remorseful about what they could have done and yeah. didn't do we all have it mm -hmm. we don't look at i used to look at that as a psychologist now i don't i look at it as a human condition and I, we call it the everybody has their own inner co committee and it's a, there and it gives us really gives us a hard time and what i tell people is don't listen to that inner committee criticizing you uh, mm -hmm. because you're always going to come out feeling less than not worthy of uh being very remorseful about what you didn't do, those are all negatives. And it, it steals our energy from what we really need. What I hear is from you is, yes, you have that. You're very human, and so are we all. But we have to stop that because you're doing so many good things now that because you went through all of that, look what you're able to do now and the potency and impact that you have now. You wouldn't have done had it, have what you do now if you didn't go through that. Not that you were trying. Right. But don't, what I would say is don't be hard on yourself. Yeah. And we all need external support for somebody to come alongside. You're being hard on yourself again. We all need that because it's a human condition, unfortunately. I hope you can take that and realize you're doing some great things and you're making a great contribution to help people today. I hope you all get in touch with us. Anybody who's really being impacted by this, get in touch with us. But Jenny will do the... Uh, the, what do you call it? The, oh, my my closing. Yeah, let thing. Jenny do that. We have a moment though. I oh, to say thank you to Joe. Oh yeah. For coming and Absolutely. and maybe you will come again and I hope so. and and let us know how how everything's going with you. Thanks for inviting me. Did I'll you be enjoy being here today with us? I did. I had a very nice time. Oh yes. boy, I enjoy having you here. Yeah, I, ho I hope I made sense. That's all. You did. Well, you <laughs> know what? If you don't make sense, I could throw away all these papers that we had published. <laughs> but you happen to fit everything that we talk about. You talk about real-life, personal terms. Yeah, thank you. That's what this is about. And thank you for being here. It's been a precious time. Bless you guys for having me. And I hope you. everyone gets something out of this. You're a blessing to us, bless. too. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. thank you. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, and if you'd like to know more about our show or about Peter, or uh, want to see more about what we're doing, please visit our website, which is the Survivor's Guide to Life.com. Um, again, that's the Survivor's Guide to Life.com. Uh, we are on Facebook, on Instagram. Please like us and share. You can find our podcast on our website, on iTunes, in any number of places. 
Thank you for listening, and please join us again next time. Thank you.